Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's guest is Tiffany Paulson. Tiffany is a writer, director, originally from Kashmir, Washington. She's won both the prestigious Disney slash ABC Writing Fellowship and a Sony TV Diverse Directing Fellowship. She wrote the feature adaptation of Nancy Drew for Warner Brothers, and her sequel to the classic Adventures in Babysitting was nominated for both DGA and Imogen Awards. Her first original short, The Swan, won Best Picture at the LA Live Score Film Festival and was an official selection at Palm Springs International. In 2019, Tiffany wrote two original features, Turkey Drop for Freeform and Holiday for Netflix and Mick G. Wonderland, for which she also served as executive producer. Holiday, which is based on Tiffany's real-life experiences, premiered on Netflix October 20th, 2020, is currently streaming on Netflix. It was the number one streamed film in the world for its first two weeks and is currently the number four Netflix movie for all of 2020, which is very, very exciting. For those writers who are listening, obviously, like you said, a lot of writers are inside writing. Writing is a solitary experience. But for those who are struggling, obviously, there's a lot of people who maybe aren't feeling the most inspired right now. What would you say? Are there words of wisdom that you would pass along to those listening who maybe kind of just are looking for something to help get them through writing during this time? Well, I spent a good amount of time watching movies. I think it's a really good time to, you know, the list of things that I like to say that I'm too embarrassed as a professional in the entertainment industry to admit I've never seen before. I keep that kind of secret running list. So I've been trying to watch some of those movies I've always wanted to see, maybe didn't have the time to do it. I also have a pretty tight network of a couple really good creative friends that you can jump on the Zoom and jump on the FaceTime and go, I'm not feeling inspired. Can you help me through this scene or this day? Or, you know, where do you want to go when we can get out of the house? Let's talk about our traveling that we're going to do next year. So I think just you know, looking for those ways that you can connect. If you can get outside, it always helps to get outside, put some music on and go for a walk with our mask on. Are writers by nature a little too hard on themselves? You know, you've got all this time, right? So to speak, and you want to write something or create the next best thing. You have so much time, but we put all this pressure on ourselves to write, you know, during this time. But is that too much? Should people, like you said, be watching films and kind of just you know, rejuvenating during this time? I think that's a fantastic point to discuss. And I think we absolutely are too hard on ourselves. I felt that a lot the first six months, this need to be productive, this need to hit my elliptical every day, and I'm going to change my diet, I'm going to drink less coffee, I'm going to exercise, and I'm going to come out with three scripts, right? Because there's no reason now to not be productive, right? There's the distractions supposedly are limited, but I think it's really important to remember that we are in unprecedented times. I mean, 
how many times are you looking at your phone and your news feed and seeing it? I mean, I've lost days to CNN alone and then feeling really guilty about it. But I try to remind myself, this is an unprecedented time in history. It's not necessarily the time to be the most productive, the most creative and give yourself a break. Today's guest is Adeline Grace. Adeline is a New York Times bestselling author of All the Stars and Teeth, which was named 2020's Biggest YA Fantasy by Entertainment Weekly. Prior to becoming an author, Adeline spent four years working in live theater, acted as the managing editor of a nonprofit newspaper, and studied storytelling as an intern on Nickelodeon Animation's popular series, The Legend of Korra. Local to San Diego, Adeline spends her non-writing days by watching too much anime and by playing video games with her dorky dog. Adeline's newest book, All the Tides of Fate, releases this week. While we're talking about quarantine, obviously, a lot of writers are going through what you described, the loneliness, struggling with writer's block, inspiration, all that. Do you have any words of wisdom for those who are listening who might be looking for inspiration and trying to get through the writer's block right now? Yeah, you know, it's tough. So when we first started quarantine, I was in edits for All the Tides of Fate. And it was a whole new learning process, you know, like with everything going on in the world, all the news, it definitely hinders your ability, at least for me. And I feel like a lot of people as well to feel creative. But I mean, my only advice would be to, if you have to find a new process, if you have to do things that, you know, maybe didn't work for you in the past, but feel right now, that's fine. Like every single project is different for me. Every single project has a different experience, a different process. And I feel like especially since quarantine, mine has really changed. And it took me a long time to feel creative again. You know, I had to turn off the news. I had to turn my phone down, stop checking Twitter to see what Trump was doing at the time, you know, everything like that. I feel like if you have to take a step back, definitely, definitely take a step back because there's all this pressure, you know, and we feel the need too, just out of our curiosity and our existence in this world to like know what is happening. But that is not always conducive to our job and our creativity. So I would just say if you have to take a step back, take a step back. Also, if you can get out of your house safely to like go for a walk, that's really nice. That's awesome. Or I'll drive down to the beach and just, you know, feel feel the world again and like see that, oh, this is still existing outside of my bedroom. Like the world is still here and we will get back to it. So whatever you have to do to feel a little bit better and a little bit more creative, I think that is that's the only thing you can do. You know, it's it's a personal experience and something everybody has to figure out, I think, for themselves what will make them feel that way. Today's guest is Jim Bloom. Jim's career in the movie and entertainment industries began when he worked with George Lucas on American Graffiti. Soon after, he became an assistant director working alongside many noted filmmakers, including Francis Ford Coppola on The Conversation, Robert Altman on Thieves Like Us, Sam Peckinpah on The Killer Elite, Steven Spielberg on Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Hal Ashby on Bound for Glory and Coming Home, Matthew Robbins on Corvette Summer, and Phil Kaufman on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He rejoined George Lucas to become an associate producer on The Empire Strikes Back and the first general manager of ILM. Following this, he became a co-producer on Return of the Jedi. He produced Warning Sign for 20th Century Fox and Fires Within, directed by Gillian Armstrong at MGM. He has also developed movies with Carol Ballard, Volker Schlondorf, Warren Beatty, George Miller, and Guillermo del Toro. In addition to being a producer, Jim has worked as a creative executive at Sony Pictures 
leading development of production of two business units, including IMAX 3D movies, including Across the Sea of Time and Wings of Courage, directed by Jean-Jacques Anneau, and interactive movies. He also worked at Electronic Arts, where he was recruited to help leverage EA Entertainment Properties into EA TV, an interactive television venture. He later helped found an interactive games company with lead funding from Kleiner Perkins. Do you have any advice for the writers who are listening who are you know, stuck at home? Obviously, writing is already a solitary job. But for those who are maybe struggling a little bit more because they're stuck inside and maybe lacking in inspiration, are there words of wisdom you have for those who are maybe trying to find that inspiration? You know, if you're blocked, get up and get away from your desk. You know, and go do something completely different. You know, it's funny, whenever I'm, I have a lot of my best ideas in the shower, to tell you the truth. And so I would, you know, I tell you to go take a hot shower. It's funny, and I've read other, you know, studies about people having creative inspiration while there's hot water running over them. And I don't think it's necessarily been figured out, but it's true. But then the other thing I would say is get away and just do something completely different. So you're away from your story because your brain works subconsciously to figure problems out that you might not even realize. And, you know, I know that's true for me personally because I enjoy puzzles. You know, I do the New York Times crossword puzzle. I do some of the other puzzles as well, like the letterbox puzzles and, you know, different solving puzzles and whatnot and the NPR Sunday puzzle. And I'll think about stuff. And it's funny. Sometimes I'll think about it before I go to bed and I'll be completely stumped and I'll wake up the next morning and I'll have an answer. It's like, hey, go figure. Where did that come from? I wasn't dreaming about it, but sometimes there are parts of your brain that work on things when you're not even you know, realizing that you're problem solving. So it's particularly true of you know, trying to you know, craft something or come up with a new idea or whatever. And then the other thing I would suggest is you know, go watch a movie. You know, it's like, you know, go you know, find out what other people have done and borrow from them. And don't think that great filmmakers don't do that because they do. I know they do. I've worked with them. You know, they know exactly what they're doing. And they go back to great source material and they borrow ideas or scenes or, you know, conflicts or resolutions or whatever. The other thing that's also nice about it is that when you're, if you're feeling blocked or if you're in the dumps or something, it's a good way to reinvigorate yourself. I mean, and I'll give you an example. I was I don't know if this is particularly applicable, but I was working on Warning Sign, which I'm happy to talk about. We made it in 1985. That's 35 years ago. And it's a pandemic story. And I've been trying to get people to go see this movie again because we kind of got screwed over by distribution and the change of regime at the studio when we made the movie. But it's a wonderful story about a small Utah community where there's what they think is an agrogenetics lab, but it's not. It's a germ warfare lab. I mean, they are doing agrogenetics. They are trying to develop better corn with higher yields and, you know, insect proof and things of that nature. But there's this one lab in the bottom of the building that's working on germ warfare. And there's an accident. And the bug gets loose and people start getting sick. And they call on the government and they institute a particular protocol, which is they seal the building. And nobody on the inside can get out. Nobody on the outside can get in. But the people on the outside don't know that the people on the inside are dying. And they also don't know that they're doing germ warfare. And the people on the inside are finding it out as well, that why is everybody getting sick out? And why are the doors locked? And why can't we get out? It's sort of the evil beauty of this particular disease that they've created genetically is that it infects the rhinencephalon 
center of the brain, which is the rage center. So rather than having to kill your enemy, they kill themselves. They kill each other. So it's, you know, really insidious. But, you know, eventually they save the day and, you know, they figure out what the antidote is and they break back inside and they start injecting people and the good people live and the bad people die. And But again, it is a pandemic story. And, you know, when the picture was released, we were greenlit. These are good movie stories. We were greenlit by one regime at 20th Century Fox. And a week before we started photography, they were fired and a new group was brought in. And when a new regime is brought in, you become a political liability. There's much more downside for a new regime than there is upside. So they tend to take a hands-off approach with your picture until it's finished. And because it's not one of their movies, they don't necessarily want to attach their name to it unless they're 100% certain it's going to be successful. And if there's any chance that it won't be successful, they dump you. And unfortunately, we got dumped and I had to struggle mightily to get any kind of marketing, advertising, you know, publicity campaign for the picture. And I went to some great lanes to try and do it, but eventually they kind of dumped us in what was in 1980, picture came out in 85. They dumped us in the dog days of August, which was the worst time to release any movie, like the first weekend in August. This was back in the 80s when release schedules were, you know, pretty determined that there were great times to release a movie in dog weekends. And we got the height of the dog weekend. And I used to joke when people told me they saw the movie and they really liked it. And I went, oh, great, you and my mother, you know, and that was the extent of it. But it's a good movie. And I went back and I looked at it again this year. And it's a really good movie for lots of different reasons. We can talk about that later. I mean, most important of all for the writers who are listening is that it's a great script and it's also a roller coaster ride. It's like, you know, you open the door and it's nonstop from start to finish. It doesn't hesitate for a second. And you're just, you're just, you know, this e-ticket ride and off you go. And it's also very frightening and, you know, good characters. And Hal, who wrote and directed Hal Barwood, did a great job. And, you know, he and Matthew were writing partners and you know, just to talk about the two of them before that, they had written Bingo Long and the Traveling All-Stars and MacArthur. They also wrote Corvette Summer, which I first met them and worked on. And then they wrote and directed, Matthew directed uh, Dragon Slayer and, you know, a bunch of other movies. They were very well-regarded screenwriters and up-and-coming directors. And anyway, very few people saw it. And it's available on Amazon for rental. And I called the head of production at Amazon to see if I could, you know, light a fire under him to get his marketing group interested in, you know, getting the film out there last March when the contagion was really kind of blossoming and getting worse. But I think it was very difficult because they're always very reluctant to push a 35-year-old movie. But, you know, the other films that were doing well at the time were Contagion by Steven Stoderbergh and 21 Days Later by Danny Boyle, which are both, you know, kind of contagion pandemic movies. And Morning Sign was very prescient, you know, all about germ warfare and pandemics and genetically controlled viruses and it was pretty wild so anyway that's the pandemic story it's a horror thriller it's a fun little movie people have seen it really like it and anyway it's available on amazon and a group out of oregon did a blu-ray dvd release with a hour interview with me and another hour interview with hal and they were off selling dvds of the film and it's got very good notices when you know that dvd was re-released which was you know, I felt good about it. So I always thought it was a good film, you know, but it's hard to get a good film out there when nobody knows it's there. Also, we got a very good review from Richard Schickel of 
Time Magazine, who used to be, you know, one of the, you know, premier movie reviewers back in the mid '80s. He was like the, you know, equivalent of you know Pauline Kael in the New Yorker. He was a highly regarded movie reviewer, and he saw it and he really liked it. But a couple of good reviews didn't quite, you know, as you say, put butts in seats with popcorn in their lap. So didn't quite work out. But such is the movie business. There's the film to go check out. Please check that movie out. Warning go check side. out warning. Yeah, go check out. So anyway, back to the point of my story, because I often get distracted <laughs> when I'm gabbing about my movies, is that I was having a particularly tough time with the studio getting the time and money we needed to finish. And the night before, I had gotten into a huge argument with the vice president of production, who were at the movie studios or, you know, back in those days of like movie studio factory, they were more known to be the no men than the yes men. They were the guys who could jump up and down and yell and scream at the producers and the directors so that the studio presidents could be the good cop. And these guys were the bad cop. And I got into a very bad argument with this guy the night before because we were shooting a scene and he wanted me to pull the plug. And I said, I can't pull the plug. I need this scene to finish the movie. If I don't shoot the scene, I haven't got a movie. You know, it's the most crucial part of the movie. It's like the turning point of the beginning, you know, of the, the second act where, you know, the sheriff goes to the disaffected biologist who's an ex-alcoholic and talks him into coming back to rescue everybody inside. And if I don't shoot that sequence, I don't have a hinge between act two and act three. It's like, we haven't got a movie. But these guys are usually not movie guys. They're like production guys, you know, and you're like talking story to production guys and, you know, they don't give a shit. They just say, you know, pull the plug, be done, you're done, get out of here, close it down, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I said, I want to talk to the president of the studio. You know, and he started yelling at me and I started yelling back at him. And it was an awful night, you know, on the telephone. But I went out. I got the president of the studio on the phone and I said, I need to shoot this sequence, you know, and I talked to him like a producer, you know, like I haven't got a movie. And he said, OK, go ahead, go do it. Be quick. Do it. Anyway, so I won the battle in that sense. But it was still, you know, it was fine. You know, it's part of the getting calluses on your skin when you deal with a movie studio you know, as an independent producer, as opposed to a studio producer, so to speak. So anyway, we shot late that night. I woke up, we had a later call that day. I was sitting in a hotel room in LA because that's where I was staying at that point in time. And the movie came on and I started watching it. I'm trying to remember what it was. I don't remember which one, but I think it was about making movies of some sort. Anyway, I just started watching and I just so thoroughly enjoyed it watching this film that I completely got reinvigorated and, you know, just remembered what the important part of the experience was, you know, which was the, you know, it's about what's on the screen. That's what counts. You know, it wasn't anything else. So from that writer's block point of view, it's sort of like, you know, go watch a movie, go watch another movie, go watch a movie that you love, go light that fire under yourself again to get your creative juices flowing. You know, remember why it is that you want to do this which is something that we forget, we get bogged down. I mean, it's funny, it's not much different than marriage counseling when marriage counselor says, why don't you remember why you two fell in love? You know, oh yeah, okay, that's a good idea. You know, after, you know, 10 or 15 years of marriage and a husband and a wife aren't getting along and they're bickering at each other and the marriage counselor says, oh, well, tell me why you guys got married. And because all they're trying to do is reignite to you about those feelings that you once had to take you back there again to realize that what you're feeling right now may be quite petty. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but you know that would be helpful to me. It's like go back and figure out what it was that you liked. You know, go watch a movie that you love, or talk to another writer. They're all common experiences. 
change the channel. <laughs> what I say, just change the channel. You know, get yourself out of whatever. You know, we all fall down our individual rabbit holes all the time. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Today's guest is Paul Vidic. Paul is an author and former senior executive in the entertainment industry for over 20 years. After leaving his business career, he turned to writing full-time. His first novel, An Honorable Man, a publisher's weekly top 10 mystery and thriller in 2016, was followed by The Good Assassin and The Coldest Warrior. His essays in nonfiction have appeared in The Wall Street Journal, Lit Hub, The Nation, Crime Reads, and elsewhere. Paul's newest novel, The Mercenary, releases February 2nd through Pegasus. For those writers listening who maybe are struggling with writing during these times, do you have any words of wisdom? Yeah, everyone, every writer's process is different. I think the most important thing is you find a process that works for you. In my case, the process has been one of, because of the nature of the novels I write, I do a lot of research. And sometimes in my case, The Mercenary, for example, the one we're talking about today, I researched it for six months before I began writing the book. And then it took six months to write. But the research, because the book takes place in Moscow, a lot of the research and most of the research dealt with what was going on in Moscow and the Soviet Union in 1985. And the more research I did, and the more I developed the characters, the more comfortable I became with the story. So for me, the ability to inhabit that world and know all the details of the world is what gets me to the place where I begin to be confident about writing the first sentence and imagining the end of the novel. And so it's a little bit like if you land in a foreign country, your first impressions are sort of like postcards, but you really don't have a lot to go on about the, you know, the underlying life, the people who live there on a daily basis. But the longer you are there, the more comfortable you become with 
all the little details of life in that place. And for me, starting a novel is a little bit like landing as a tourist in a place and living there long enough that I become comfortable with everything that is going on. So for me, research is important. And of course, that's partly because I write espionage novels that take place in the past. They've taken place in 53 in Washington, in 59 in Cuba, and then this last one is 1985 in Moscow. But I do try and understand my characters deeply before I start writing. So I sort of create dossiers on each of them. I know where they were born. I know, you know, what religion they practice. I know what drinks they like to drink. And I can describe a whole life to you about each of the characters, a life that doesn't exist on the page, but has to exist in my imagination for me to credibly present those characters on the page. Today's guest is Carol Edgarian. Carol is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Three Stages of Amazement, and the international bestseller, Rise the Euphrates, winner of the ANC Freedom Prize. Her articles and essays have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, NPR, and W, among many others. She is co-founder of the nonprofit Narrative, a leading digital publisher of fiction, poetry, and art, and Narrative in the Schools, which provides reading and writing resources to teachers and students around the world. She's also written for the screen, is developing a limited series for Three Stages of Amazement, teaches fiction, and is a frequent speaker at speaking events around the world on the art of story. Her upcoming novel, Vera, is being released through Scribner on March 2nd, 2021. Still in regards to the pandemic and the quarantine and everything, for those writers listening, you know, you mentioned earlier that we briefly touched on how writers are already at home writing, so some might not be affected, but obviously a lot are affected emotionally and maybe are having trouble, you know, finding inspiration and getting writer's block, these kind of things, being stuck at home all the time. Do you have any suggestions for those writers who are listening who are maybe feeling those things? Well, I think I'd say a couple things. One, in the darkness, art is always the light that comes out of the darkness. And this is a moment, if you look historically, it's in moments such as this that great art gets made. And I think we're going to see an amazing flourishing of writing coming out of the pandemic and the Trump era that is not necessarily specifically tied to it, but that in some way is inspired by it. I think I know when I'm stuck in the work, and I'm often stuck, I just, one thing I have to say to myself is, okay, if I'm hitting a wall in a given day, I have to put the time in. I often go to read something that will give me a kick into the language. I usually begin my day reading some poetry, or I reread something that really moves me. And often it's just a scene. So that kind of tricks my mind into already thinking about drama, already thinking about scene. But I also tell myself, if I'm really in a sort of hitting a wall, I say, okay, today doesn't count. I think it's really important in the drafting to allow, sort of have that beginner's mindset, that mindset of play, so that you let the imagination go where it will go. It's in the revision that you really, you really have to be sort of the hard ass judge. 
But in the drafting, you have to allow yourself to play. You have to allow yourself to open all the valves and see what comes. Today's guest is Kate Hope Day. Kate is the author of If Then and the upcoming novel In the Quick. She holds a BA from Bryn Mawr College and a PhD in English from the University of Pittsburgh and was an associate producer at HBO. The television rights for If Then sparked a heated auction, which Heyday Films, the creator of Harry Potter movies and Gravity, eventually won. Apple TV has greenlit the project, contingent upon casting the NBC Universal as a studio, and Kate will be co-producer for the show. We're really excited about that. And Kate, as I mentioned, has In the Quick coming up on sale March 2nd through Random House. And a quick description is, a young, ambitious female astronaut's life is upended by a love affair that threatens the rescue of a lost crew in this brilliantly imagined novel in the tradition of Station Eleven and The Martian. For those writing who are going through similar experiences and are maybe actually struggling with writer's block, finding inspiration, do you have any words of wisdom? I do. I think over the past year, I've figured a few things out. And I I have to sort of speak directly to novelists or anyone that's working on sort of a long form project that is by the nature of the thing going to take, you know, at least a year, if not multiple years. And to me, I had to let go of this idea of generating a certain number of words or sort of standard of productivity that I had held before the pandemic. Because to keep a hold of that was just really painful. And it just sort of left me feeling like I had failed every single day. And I've really kind of recalibrated what constitutes a good writing week, I guess I would say. And for me, I think it's really been a matter of not so much how much I've written, but have I kept that project alive in my mind? You know, before the pandemic hit, I got about 10,000 words written of my third novel. I was very energized. I had a lot in my mind. I wanted to sort of get it out on paper as you know, quickly as possible, which is how I wrote the first draft of In the Quick, just sort of very fast, you know, get it all down, at least the first like 40K words or so. And, you know, I wasn't able to do that suddenly. And for me, the biggest challenge is you know, if you have to step away from a project because you have demands on your time, and all of us are in that, you know, predicament right now in one way or another, and you're not going to be able to necessarily, you know, be writing full scenes every day. So the key for me have just been to find, you know, different ways to kind of tap back into that project and that character, you know, my main character or the world of that book. And sometimes that doesn't look like looking at a screen because so much of my life is, you know, dealing with the kids' school on the iPads and, you know, my own work for, you know, in the quick coming out, I've had to do a lot of, you know, stuff on my computer. And so I've been handwriting in a journal a whole lot more than I ever did before. I've also been finding ways to kind of come at the project sideways in a way to sort of just make it as fun as possible and you know, have it feel like the good thing in my life as opposed to one more thing I have to check off. So I've always relied quite a bit on sort of visual inspiration, but I've really been leaning on that quite a bit over the last year. I definitely sort of collect images on Pinterest for the book I'm working on right now. I have individual 
sometimes I'll do individual collections for specific characters or even scenes. And sometimes I'll, you know, even print out an image and paste it to my bathroom mirror if I'm sort of in a scene that I'm trying to figure out just so I can kind of give, you know, kind of nudge my unconscious in that direction so that it's sort of working on a problem even when I'm doing other things. I also have been doing a lot of printing pages out, which that doesn't sound like revelatory, but I've found that if I've managed to write, you know, say at bedtime or something, I've managed to write some bit of a scene that I can kind of keep working on it in the back of my mind. If I print out what I've done, even if it doesn't look good on the page, you know, it's going to be a mess. You have to sort of be okay with that. If I print it out and I kind of have it in, you know, in my environment throughout the day, I'll notice it. Maybe I pick it up. Maybe I read. Maybe I, you know, write things in the margin or something. But just actually seeing those pages there, it's sort of like, okay, this is, this is a thing. That book is real. It has a real world and these characters are real. And I've got to, you know, sort of care for it the way you would a plant or something and not sort of like forget about it. So those are sort of the things that I've been doing to kind of keep the project alive, which to me is like sort of the biggest challenge right now. Today's guest is Alex London. Alex writes books for adults, including One Day the Soldiers Came, Voices of Children in War, as well as for children, Dog Tag series, an Accidental Adventure series, as well as teens, including Proxy. At one time, a journalist who traveled the world reporting from conflict zones and refugee camps, he is now a full-time novelist living in Philadelphia. Alex's most recent book, the third and final installment in his Skybound Saga series, Gold Wings Rising, is in stores now. While we're talking about writing during you know, these times, how things are affected, obviously, a lot of writers are affected. Do you have words of wisdom for those who are listening who maybe are struggling right now? Writer's block, all yeah. the things that are going on. Are there words of wisdom or maybe some cheat codes, so to speak, to kind of yeah. get through? I've published 25 books, written 27, 28 that will be published across all genres and age groups. And all I have learned in all of that is none of us have a clue what we're doing. And every book is different and every writer is different. And great advice for one person is terrible advice for someone else. So I wouldn't presume to like give advice. All I have really learned is to be kind to oneself. Find what works for you. And if it doesn't work, if it's torture, then that probably isn't how you should be writing. That probably isn't your creative process. I don't think pain and torture and agony is a necessity for art. I think that is a lie we've been sold. and. If you're in agony, then maybe part of your process isn't working and it's okay to let go of those pieces of your process that are hellish for you. That is also easy to say, and I don't always take that advice. Finishing this Skybound saga, this last book in the trilogy, was extremely hard for me. It's a series about trauma and healing and forgiveness, and both on a personal level and a societal level. And it's also a pretty brutal story about giant killer birds. And I had to process a lot of personal trauma and societal trauma in order to write it. And it was extremely difficult and brutal to get through that process, especially finishing it, you know, now in our political environment, even before the pandemic. And so I didn't take my, I beat myself all the time about it. So it's also, I also wouldn't presume to even give the advice I just gave, but finding ways 
to let yourself off the hook if your writing isn't perfect, if you're not producing as much as you think you should, if your drafts don't land where you want when you want. Just letting yourself know that's okay. Your worth as a human is not measured by your creative productivity. There are terrible people who are extremely productive, and there are great people who never finish a thing. And that's fine. We attach all this moral weight to it that we don't mean to. And just hold your process lightly and hold yourself gently, and you'll find a way through. Loosen your grip, and maybe you'll be okay. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.